Weston Merrill of the Montana Department of Agriculture. What a pleasure to have you with us today on Hemp Barons. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. What a leading role Montana is taking in the re-emergence of this versatile, valuable crop, not just because of the tremendous support by the Department of Agriculture, for which you are the marketing officer, and for your legislators, but also U.S. Senator John Tester has been such a hero. And in particular, you have some real industry leaders there uh, at IND Hemp, the Elliott family. Yeah, we do. We are super fortunate to have them here in Montana. Um, I think Montana definitely attracts those type of people, which is super exciting. Uh, They see the potential that's here and the type of people, the type of people that are farmers and ranchers and industry folks are here. Uh, It definitely creates an inviting environment. Big Sky Country is ag country. It's farming country. And what a thrill it was to be visiting the IND, both their oilseed and fiber fields, hundreds of acres uh, in Montana, and also the incredible facilities to process that long, strong, valuable stock, as well as processing grain. And that's where we got an opportunity to meet you. Thank you so much for joining a real select group um, of about 44 people were invited. I think around 30 of us showed up for that tremendous uh, under the hood, as the Elliott family uh, called it, tour of those facilities and really a summit um, of all of us industry leaders and your participation as well, getting together to talk about challenges, opportunities, uh, strengths and strengths and weaknesses as we navigate this emerging crop together. Yeah, I was super excited when they extended the invite. It was kind of quick turnaround for me, but that's what I love about my job is the ability to be flexible. So super excited to be there. And it was a very impressive to see the, like you said, the types of leaders and folks from across the country whose eyes, you know, were on Montana and especially at that occasion in Montana to, to, to talk about those challenges and opportunities in the hemp industry. So fantastic. And let's get right into it. There's something unique about Montana's hemp laws that is not shared, unfortunately, with the other 49 states or even at the federal level. And that comes down to companion animal feed, which I want to distinguish, of course, from what we would call ag feed, where we're talking about uh, livestock and poultry and animals that we would eat. Because of course, here in this developed country, we have quite a process, not only for approval of foods and dietary supplements that go into human beings' mouth, but food and dietary supplements, although not that we have a category of dietary supplements, they're sort of considered food for uh, animals, but a massive process for what goes into animals' mouths, and particularly animals that are later consumed by humans. Uh, That's the FDA Center for Veterinary Medicine, and then, of course, AFCO. And we do not yet have a single hemp ingredient, and I'm not even touching cannabinoids or hemp extract. I'm talking the straight up, that beautiful, nutrient-dense hemp grain, the hemp seed, which has such incredible bioavailability of protein and an incredible profile for omegas 3s and 6, these polyunsaturated essential fatty acids and many, many other uh, minerals um, and vitamins. But we do not have a single ingredient of the many that can be processed and produced from the the hemp grain or the hemp 
seen for even a single species yet. And as you well know, the Hemp Feed Coalition in February just submitted its first application to AFCO and the FDA's uh, Center for uh, Veterinary I think it's medicine. You, we will please correct me if I'm wrong on that. Now, look it up real quick in case I'm getting ahead of my skis here. Skis here, but that first application, which was for hemp seed cake or meal for the laying hen. So, folks who listen regularly to my show understand that we need an application per ingredient per species in order for that ingredient then to be lawfully put into ag feed in the United States. We're in that process now, just starting, but. In Montana, with again the support of your of your legislature and and I think with Senator U.S. Senator John Tester and of course the Department of Ag, there is legal within the borders of that state to be able to use hemp grain products and you'll tell me if other products for companion animal feed, meaning pets, uh, cats, dogs, and horses. Could you elaborate on that, sir? Well, yeah. So I think um, what's exciting is we see that as the first step in the process. And the more, the more we're able to normalize, um, normalize the use of hemp and hemp ingredients, the better it'll be for the industry. So it's that first step to, to getting markets for our farmers that grow hemp. And um, while I was not in part of that legislative process, personally, our department testified on, our hemp and hemp growers and and I really thank IND for being very pivotal in getting that legislation uh, bringing it forward and I think our legislators here in Montana who do a very good job of representing our state and the people within our state and our number one industry agriculture see that there's potential with hemp and this getting it into companion animal products is just a first step in that process of furthering the industry and eventually getting it into ag feed. So important for the supply chain, for the economic stability of the farmers, and to keep those employees employed and those machines running, such as the one at IND Hemp for processing that grain, is to be able to feed these markets. And there's a tremendous demand for hemp seed oil, again, so rich in omegas, threes, and sixes, and and many other uh, nutritional benefits. But we do not have a huge developed market yet for hemp protein. And for the listeners who aren't aware, of course, when we process that hemp seed or press that hemp seed, um, we are left with seed cake or meal that's coming out on the other end. That seed cake or meal still has a tremendous amount of value. And of course, again, really the highest digestible protein um, of any plant or animal um, feed out there, but we mill that seed cake and then we get our hemp protein from it. But that market is not as developed. So what's happening, particularly without any approvals for the hemp seed or cake to go into the ag feed markets, is the hemp seeds going full time. We're pressing those seeds. We're feeding that hemp seed market. But meanwhile, the cake is uh, building up to pretty tremendous uh, quantities. And so for Montana farmers, for Montana processors and business owners and, you know, entrepreneurs, wholesalers, distributors to be able to move that uh, product in the companion animal feed industry within the state of Montana is just a tremendous boost to the supply chain and to those businesses. Don't you agree? 
I definitely agree. I think in agriculture, anytime you can add value, whether it's using a byproduct or or whatever you're doing, that's what we are excited to see. Especially from like from a State Department of Ag side, from the from the state of Montana side, to see value added happen in Montana, that is super exciting. And I think across the board, anytime you can do that, um, it's a win for your industry. So. So much so. Uh, and and I am happy to report that indeed it is the FDA's Center for Veterinary Medicine. And then AFCO, of course, being the Association of American Feed Control Officials. And it's two. It's both of those organizations uh, that work together as these applications for a new ingredient for ag feed um, move forward. That's AFCO and uh, the FDA's CBM. Now, I'm also seeing, and I'm not sure if you can speak to it, it's so interesting, I, I feel for, because I work with regulators in various states throughout the country, and of course, the Department of Ag does what the Department of Ag needs to do, the Department of Health does what the Department of Health needs to do, and then we have, unfortunately, more misguided states that have brought in, you know, their departments of alcohol and tobacco, as if that has anything at all to do with hemp grain, uh, and various other things, but it looks like the Department of Agriculture in Montana also has a policy on hemp and CBD uh, for animal feed. Um, anything that you are aware of with that other than uh, hemp and hemp-related ingredients that aren't allowed in animal feed, at least from the from the website here, are any that have added CBD or base, and of course, um, uh, intoxicating uh, THC. Um, or cannabis-derived products can, that meet a definition that, of course, exceeds what we are allowed to call hemp. Um, anything you have to add around how uh, the Department of Ag sort of got involved with that? There's crossover there because while we're not talking about human feed, in which case the Department of Ag, I assume, would have nothing to do with it, because it's animal feed, the Department of Ag's involved in that policy. Yeah, that's a that that would be one that I am not you know in my shop in the marketing side I'm I'm not super familiar with or, or work much in that in that side of things so I I'd better not comment because that's not in my Smart. wheelhouse. Smart indeed, and I'm I'm happy to report I am looking right at the uh, at, at the official policy here, which dovetails with even and this is a wonderful thing about Montana. So Montana went out on a little reach here, went out on a limb and said companion animal feed, not all of ag feed. But also is saying in this guidance document, listen, we recognize uh, that the FDA for human consumption, and again, I hate to compare uh, these confused folks, but that's where we're at in the regulations here, is that the FDA has approved hemp seed oil and hold hemp seeds and uh, hemp protein powder as they've recognized it as safe, generally recognized it as safe, uh, and made that announcement on December 20th, 2018. So it looks like uh, the Department of Ag in Montana is saying, hey, we recognize that the FDA has has given GRAS, G-R-A-S, status uh, to these hemp grain ingredients, but they certainly have not yet um, approved anything as it relates to CBD other than a drug, and that appears to be that that's why Montana is staying away from it. But the bottom line uh, for us and the purpose of this interview is, uh, wow, thank you so much to Montana for opening up that particular market 
for the businesses and the stakeholders within Montana, I think it's going to set a tremendous example and really show and deliver on the promise of hemp, particularly in conjunction with the stakeholders that you have there, again, being IND Hemp and incredibly experienced farmers in the grain industry. Could you speak to that for us? To the experienced farmers? Yeah, in the grain industry. You know, I think there's a lot, and I'm not talking about hemp specific. I'm talking about grain in general, canola and your other grain crops in Montana. Yeah, you bet. So that's that's what excites me personally as a as a marketing officer and and producer myself about hemp grain because it's definitely something that is more familiar to our farmers they've been growing wheat they've been growing pulses which are peas chickpeas lentils they've been growing barley for years and they they know how to do that they've got those processes dialed in they know their crop rotations and the benefits to the soil by rotating crops through and it the order that they rotate through so being able to incorporate hemp and and particularly when they grow it for grain makes sense and and as those farmers those experienced farmers see the the benefits not only obviously being able to sell their grain for for a good price or contracting grain but we've heard reports that from farmers that the barley crop that follows a hemp crop yields better. So agronomic benefits that happen like that just make it more of a a sustainable or stable type of crop in rotation. As we see in grain markets, it's normal that prices fluctuate. Well, I might plant a few less acres of hemp if the price isn't as good, but I'll still always plant hemp because I know that the it's 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 into my crop rotation. So those experienced farmers and ranchers that we have that are growing other grains um, have the ability to, to put this one in their rotation and see if it works. And I'm not saying it'll work for everybody, but um, I definitely think there's a place for it. And in Montana, we have, you said it, big sky country is ag country. We have acres and acres of, of farm ground, highly productive farm ground. So we're able to produce lots of acres. Yes, and thank goodness for it. So obviously crops with a, what we would call even a regenerative value to it. Um, as I as I move past even, and we're, we're happy with sustainability, absolutely happy with sustainability, but what we see in hemp and what we see as many other um, awarenesses and really an agricultural revolution takes place in terms of soil ecology is moving beyond sustainability into regeneration and, and regenerative crops and regenerative agronomic practices. And that's what we are seeing with hemp and sort of what you are describing here is a value add or, or a regenerative um, aspect to it. Doesn't happen everywhere. You're going to have to have some good land. You're going to have to have some good techniques there. But when those agronomic practices are employed, it's tremendous uh, what we're seeing here. And as I spoke, and I even, and I may be, you know, projecting on you here or be misinterpreting, but I realized I, I felt like maybe I even not confused you, but it's confusing when we use the word grain and we're talking about a seed, an oil seed, in fact. And it's been an interesting 
journey for hemp, uh, both legally since 1619, uh, where we had our first, our nation's first cannabis law, which was ordering farmers to make trial of the Indian hemp seed, only to have it eventually become a felony just to possess a seed capable of germination, only then uh, 50 years later to be told, please, for the love of God, start growing hemp again. So it's been a great legal journey. But among that journey has been a journey of nomenclature, particularly under the successful uh, social engineering campaign or hysterical uh, engineering campaign of prohibition. And that is that the seed people didn't want us to call hemp seed a seed. And, you know, Canada, of course, began regulating this crop and liberated it federally in 1998 and began to position itself and successfully positioned itself. We'll see how long they stay in that position, however, as the world's leader in hemp grain or hemp seed bulk food ingredients. But when that started, there was sort of the shunning of hemp. And it was like, don't call yourself a seed. We we don't want you. We don't. The oil seed people don't want you. Don't call yourself a nut. The nut people don't want you either. And you're not really a nut. Don't call yourself a grain because the grain people don't want you either. So we sort of been in this situation of going between calling ourselves a grain and an oil seed. But the reality is, and particularly if you're talking about, and I know you're the marketing officer and not the regulations policy analyst guy, but from an FDA perspective, you need to name the plant part and grain would be way off. We are talking about an oil seed. And in fact, we're talking about a seed. So that also brings me then toward how about your oil seed specific existing industry and from a farming perspective and a processing perspective in Montana, anything that you could speak to there, sir? Yeah. So that that's something that I think is super exciting to look at in relation to hemp. So oilseed acreage in Montana has increased greatly over the last 10 years or so. And and I see, I, I don't want to be a predictor or anything like that, but I think hemp could follow the same type of pattern. I don't know how fast that growth will be, but I, I see it increasing as people learn how it fits in, like I said, their crop rotation. And that's what, that's what it comes down to. I mean, most of these farmers that are growing oil seeds, they aren't growing only oil seeds. They're growing oil seeds and a wheat or oil seeds and a barley. And they'll they'll keep that in their rotation however they see fit and however it works. But the oil seed production in Montana has greatly increased. And it has to do with the same things I just talked about that I hope to see happen with hemp. That farmers see the agronomic benefits. Not only can they contract this oil seed for... A price and diversify themselves you know they don't have they've got some they've got some wheat they've got some oil seed they've got some pulses which are the peas and and the legumes right chickpeas and lentils so if they can diversify themselves they they hedge against risk that way not only do they do that that helps the pocketbook but they help their soil so i think what you see with the oil seeds and their acreage increase is exciting because before i mean oil seeds take a little bit different storage methods right it's not it's not as simple as just combining and and putting it into a storage bin you've got to be able to keep the seed dry i mean there's there's certain things you got to do when you when you harvest it's got to be a certain moisture right so what's exciting to me is to see farmers adopt those those practices and change a little bit about what they do um so that you know, hemp comes along and it's not quite, it's not as big a jump to, to, 
to do a few things, you have to tweak a few things because hemp is a little different than, you know, a flax seed or, or canola seed and, and and a little more different than, than say a grain like wheat or barley. Right. So it's, it's exciting to see that farmers adapt and new practices and canola maybe isn't quite as big a jump, but if they've already made the jump to canola, maybe making the jump to hemp, it's not as big a jump as it was before. So seeing that normalization and, and things like that, I think will help the industry. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And in fact, I have a, a proud, very small, but proud ownership interest in Colorado Hemp Works, which is our nation's first post-prohibition hemp grain processing facility. And, you know, I, I get folks all the time saying, gee, you know, I, I'd love to get into hemp and start growing hemp grain you know, for, the, for Colorado Hemp Works. But the reality is for exactly the reasons that you said, we want everyone to be successful in their, in their farming and agriculture endeavors, um, particularly as it relates to hemp and also Colorado Hemp Works is looking for, as most grain processors are looking for, experienced oilseed and grain farmers who have existing equipment to harvest, to combine, as you say, and then to store uh, the the seed. It is certainly not as easy as it looks. Um, You've got to have those proper silones, temperature and and moisture controlled uh, to be able to do that. When I look at the historical crop reports for Montana, um, the first season that Montana planted was in 2017, somewhere around 542 acres. In 2018, it just shot up like crazy. I mean, literally Montana just stomped on all the rest of the 50 states and grew 22,000 acres in 2018. 2019, I'm actually not sure there was a bit of a whirlwind that occurred. We, I, we try to keep this historic crop report data. And then in 2020, it looks like about 14,000 acres were planted, but only about 3,700 of those acres were harvested. And that uh, came from the Department the, of um the Department of Ag for Montana. Any ideas on what happened? I'm, I'm assuming, but I this is why I'm asking, um, that there was, like many states, just a massive overproduction or excitement potentially on hemp extract or growing for CBD, and there were not contracts in place for that growing. Or... or Dun, 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 dun. In Montana, I think there were some pretty major contracts in place now that I think about it. And it just recently had, unlike the other states where folks grew, um, some with contracts in place, but grew and overproduced. Most people just had these pie in the sky. And I feel terrible because farmers are, are innocent, do things on a handshake, are generally people of tremendous integrity and believed a bunch of magical salesmen selling them magic beans that they were going to get thousands of dollars an acre planted a bunch of hemp extract or hemp for CBD without contracts. And that backfired because we already had a ton of oversupply of processed hemp extract or CBD from the 2019 season. 
Having said that, getting back into Montana specifically, and I know while we were there the very day you and I met uh, at that tremendous event at IND Hemp, uh, it was announced in the paper that very day that the second largest uh, award, a litigation award in the history of the state of Montana had gone out, some $65 million to four different hemp farmers who in fact had grown hemp for CBD and, uh, and had not been paid. And this $65 million judgment was made on behalf in favor of those plaintiff farmers against uh, those contract holders. Now, I put a lot out here. I'm not even sure you or I know what my question is yet. I guess what I'm saying is 2017, excellent, did some variety trials, fooled around with hemp, did it responsibly like responsible farmers would in Montana and grew 542 acres. 2018 went nuts all the way up to 22,000 acres. By the way, I think there was a lot of grain that year. Not sure what happened in 2019. And in 2020, licensed about 14,200 acres, most of which was planted between greenhouse and, and outdoors, but only 3,700 harvested. Anything that you can add about that fluctuation and, of course, to the extent you feel comfortable or even have the ability to discuss uh, anything related to that tremendous judgment? Yeah. So the acreage, I think, was definitely, um, as you saw across the country, the excitement about the possibilities with CBD, uh, everybody jumping in, overproduction, um, the the oversupply causing a price a crash, so to speak, definitely changed the landscape. I also think the learning curve being pretty steep, like you said, lots of farmers jumping in, um, possibly not doing enough research or just thinking, hey, I can grow this like anything else or or you know, harvest it like anything else. I think that was pretty steep. But what's exciting for us at the Department of Agriculture to see is that through most of this fluctuation, the acres that did fluctuate were CBD acres. And where we feel like Montana will hang their hat is on grain and fiber. And those acres have stayed fairly stable. So planting-wise, 2018, I don't have the exact grain acre for that one. But 2019, we had right around 10,000 grain acres. 2020, same. And 20, let's see, 21 Within the state, under the state program, there was about 5,000 acres, but under the USDA program within the state, like on the Indian Reservation, there uh, there was also another 5,000 acres. So within the, the borders of Montana, still about 10 to 12,000 acres of, of grain variety hemp grown. So that's super exciting to us to see that that part has stayed relatively steady. Very much so. And, you know, it's fascinating because I, I have fell in love with hemp from the very first day that I learned about hemp. It literally, and, and the listeners are fatigued by hearing this story, just changed my life learning about it the day that I did. Um, but it was for oilseed and fiber. And, you know, I'm an, I've been oilseed and fiber girl since 1990, recognizing just the tremendous, not only uh, the planetary and soil healing aspects of hemp and carbon sequestering aspects of hemp, but that it can improve so many of the products uh, that we use. Better paper, better textiles, better building materials, better biocomposites and energy and industry and fuel and sealants and coatings and pellets and charcoal. I could go on. Um, 
But we, that's also where our economic stability, again, is going to be for the farmers as well as the environment, environmental stability feeding all of these markets, even as seven or so years ago, hemp extract hit us all, blindsided us, oil, seed, and fiber folks. Um, it kind of hit us like a ton of bricks when we were like, what? extract cannabinoids from the leaves and the flowers of the of the hemp plant um, and are so grateful for this sort of public health revolution and for the fact that hemp extract is out there and that we are recognizing cannabidiol that incredible promising non-intoxicating uh, compound found within the cannabis plant and in tremendous quantities uh, within that within the hemp plant because it's allowing folks to learn about all of the things that hemp can do and be. Now, I've been shouting from the rooftops, you know, save the planet with hemp and various forms of that, nuanced and modified forms of that over the decades. Uh, but, and, and there are folks who are very receptive to that. Having said that, when folks who haven't gotten a good night's sleep in 20 years or have been living with shoulder pain or their knee acts up every time they go for a hike and they take this non-intoxicating natural botanical extract and they get a good night's sleep and they are relieved of that of that discomfort now they're really listening and paying attention and so so grateful uh for that platform and for the way that this revolution of consciousness and everything else is unfolding so that we have folks attention and can tell them all of the things that this versatile valuable plant can do from the lens of cbd and yet cbd takes up almost all the air in the room uh, when we when we speak about it. So in general, uh, the state, I think um, Montana really has its head on straight, recognizing the oil, seed, and fiber aspects of this plant above extract. Um, but perhaps you have a, a better insight. What are your thoughts there from the farming perspective? So from the farming perspective, a big reason why we, we get or feel like that Montana will hang its hat more on a fiber and a hemp seed or grain production is because that's what is familiar to the majority of our farmers. So the farming practices and the way that you grow hemp for fiber or for seed is a lot closer and similar to a lot of the farming practices and things that farmers are, the majority of our farmers are already doing. I do want to make sure it's clear too that we, we do very much support the, the growers that are growing for CBD. And we have yeah. several very good ones, and, and they do a great job. Um, typically, what we see in Montana is a lot of those are smaller, smaller, smaller acreages, and they're a lot more labor-intensive type harvests. And um, that, that type of system, you know, for the majority of Montana farmers, doesn't fit what they do. So taking something like the grain or seed and fiber side and plugging it into to what a farmer already does just is it's it's less of a leap you know i mean being able to harvest hemp with what i already use to harvest canola or to bale up hemp straw with what i already use to bale you know th those types of things that's why the fiber and the grain fits it, it fits montana agriculture on a larger scale 
it is, uh, I use the term permaculture in the way that is supposed to be used, which is really systems that mimic nature. Nature adapts, uh, nature is efficient, nature doesn't make mistakes. Uh, and so permaculture is really adopting or duplicating those systems found in nature. And what we're, what you're basically explaining is uh, the, our farmers like to use their existing systems <laughs> in order to be efficient and work with the building on the systems that they have. It's a economic agricultural permaculture uh, in its in its own form. And, and I think a lot of folks don't necessarily realize that for the most part, uh, growing for hemp extract almost starts to look more horticultural. For hemp fiber, we're growing and it's all very generally speaking, and it depends on your certified seeds and the type of varieties that you're growing. But generally speaking, hemp sown for fiber is very densely you know, planted together, sometimes between 300 and 400 seeds per square meter uh, versus grain, about 100 to 200 plants per square meter. But when we're getting into extract temp, we're talking about one plant per one and a half square meters. So it really starts to become more horticulture in a way, even though some of these, you know, uh, farms are tremendous, but they're individually cared for plants. So a lot different than regular farming um, or commercial scale farming that that Montana is used to. Would you say something along those lines is is sounding about accurate? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, that that's not saying that, you know, down the road, there will be a situation where, you know, you're growing hemp for extract in a, in a more conventional type or, you know, larger scale grow or planting or harvesting situation. Um, but that's, that's what's exciting about the hemp industry is the innovation that can take place. You know, who knows? I'm not going to say like that could totally happen. But for right now, what we do know is that fiber and the grain or the seed is definitely grown, like you said, just more dense, larger acreages, and that fits Montana agriculture. And that fits Montana agriculture. And to your point, I almost qualified what I was about to say, but thank you for setting me up to elaborate, which is uh, I wanted to say here in the U.S. where we have endless acres to grow food versus it's already being done, what you just said, maybe in the future, already being done in Europe where they do not have the tremendous lands that we enjoy here in the United States. For example, in Holland, where they're quite ahead for the fiber industry processing and otherwise, um, I've had a wonderful opportunity to have some technical visits to fields and facilities there. And they are, Donagro specifically, as, as well as hemp flax, but uh, Donagro has this beautiful combine called the Hemp Bull, and it's got a double cut. It cuts about eight inches off the ground to get that long, strong, valuable stalk. And it also has a second cut far above, which strips the flowers off the top of the fiber crop that it is growing. So we're talking densely planted fiber uh, hemp, but it's a dual variety, only with about three to 4% CBD in this, in this particular variety. But bear in mind, they've already got their fiber processing and their fiber markets quite down, filling it all the time. So it's a co-product. And I don't like to use the word byproduct in hemp. We only have co-products in hemp from my perspective, but it's a, a co-product then for Dunagro to strip those flowers. And because they've got that market for hemp, they're totally cool with three to 4%. And that was a couple of years ago for all I know, their genetics are 
creeped up, you know, five to 7%, but they're not so concerned with CBD content. Fiber is their number one, but they are also utilizing the flowering tops and leaves with that tremendous hemp bull to strip the flowers off the top and use both. So in fact, that is already being done, these dual and sort of tri-crops and in other regions where they're more developed and where they're frankly far more aware of their lack of, of uh, ag lands. So they use them very wisely and efficiently there. Yeah, that's that's I've seen those in action, um, not live, but plenty of videos. And I, I think that's something definitely, definitely to come. So every time I present to a group of farmers or have talked about hemp in a, in a public setting where I was giving a presentation, I always show a picture of a combine, roughly 1930, 1937 to be exact. <laughs> and, and, and then I show a picture of a combine in 2020. And it is quite different. And the volume and everything that that machine can do is quite different. And while I know that, you know, innovation has been happening around the globe in this industry, but we've had, you know, roughly an 80-year stretch where it hasn't happened here. So there's definitely going to be some exciting innovations and exciting technologies and exciting things happening in this industry. Um I just, you know, just to keep it in perspective, I, I always tell people, here's a combine and 80 years ago, this is what it looked like, you know, and, and our hemp industry is is young. So I think focusing on those sustainable small steps and wins will breed, you know, that innovation and, and, and create the base for a, a large sustainable industry that has endless potential. Totally, totally. And another unique thing as as we come to the end of our time together that I that I was thrilled to see and be made aware of while I was visiting Fort Benton, as it were, was this North 40. Um, and if only every state had this sort of chain of ag feed and ag supply stores, such as Montana has in North 40, that has really embraced hemp and is putting it out there from center for the farmers. Um, just from a marketing perspective and from a normalization perspective, can you speak to us about um, about what's going on with North 40 and hemp? So that's super exciting. And and I think, like you said, having it. So as a, as a producer myself, when I need something related to farm and ranch, where do I go? I go to the feed store. I'll walk in, whether it's North 40 or, who, or whoever, but I walk in and, and everything's normalized. Everything, I, I already know what I'm going to see. doesn't surprise me much. I trust what's there most of the time because it's all about a relationship. I've built a relationship with that, that store or who, wherever, the supplier. So having North 40 that's super exciting because as as a you know somebody with horses, if I need equine feed and I want to have my horses take advantage of the wonderful hemp plant, I'll I can walk in there and say, oh, this is new. But because it's already in a location that I trust, you know, it's normalized. Yeah, I'm willing to try it, right? So that is big, and I do think that there. I mean, there's feed stores all over the country, and it all has to do with relationships. So you know, you could talk about agriculture, you could talk about manufacturing. Every business is a people business. So being able to have those folks and our processors here that have successfully put that product in that store, it's all about them building a relationship with those people and and knowing that they can trust this product, right? So relationships are so key. And I think there's an opportunity to do this in other states. It might take a little while, legislation and things like that, but there's definitely that opportunity. opportunity. And as we continue to build those relationships, 
it, it's it will happen. Totally. And I'm watching. I'm on the North 40 website right now. You know, in addition to the hemp tana love it. Hemp tana hemp holes and hemp tana hemp seed oil that they have for companion feed, again, legal within the borders of the state. I can tell North 40 is already starting to see the results of their hemp offerings because here at North 40, they appear to also be offering hemp sandals and they're already out of stock of, of these really cool hemp sneakers. And they say coming soon are hemp uh, pants. So hemp is coming to town, people, and the greatest way that anyone can support hemp, and you know this as the marketing officer, is to buy hemp. Since 1991, which is when I started to make my first actual public speeches after learning about hemp in 1990, I have been saying the greatest act of activism that you can do to, to be a part of this emerging crop and to bring it back to its broad light of day, which is where it sits today in the broad light of day among America's other agricultural commodities, is to buy hemp. Consumers need to drive the demand for it, fill in your comment cards that you want it. And I see here that North 40 is already seeing that consumer drive. So buying hemp is everything. What's your biggest message as we as we part here, Weston? And I'm so grateful for having you here today. Something that you maybe want to make sure we tell the listeners or that I didn't ask you before we go. I would say maybe a good or the, one of the biggest messages that I could share is that here in Montana, we're working very hard to support from the side of the Department of Ag to support our farmers and ranchers and that they do a spectacular job of taking care of their soil, rotating their crops and producing high quality products. If it's canola, flax, wheat, barley, and being able to plug hemp into that system is super exciting and when it's grown in montana you you can hang your hat on quality we are so excited for montana and so thrilled that montana has just jumped in with all feet again made this tremendous market for companion animal feed and is really just taking the hemp world and the emerging hemp markets in the united states and north america by storm thank you for your part in it and so much thanks to the montana department of agriculture so happy to have you with us today weston and looking forward to our next encounter brother thank you thank you Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.